Can people trust that your organization will do the right thing in a crisis? I'm Edward Siegel, a leadership strategy senior contributor for Forbes.com and author of the best-selling and award-winning book, Crisis Ahead, 101 Ways to Prepare for and Bounce Back from Disasters, Scandals, and Other Emergencies. My guest today is Dave Sampson, who's the Global Vice Chairman of Corporate Affairs at Edelman, which is a global communications firm. In this episode, he discusses why trust is important when dealing with a crisis, what government agencies and companies can do to keep the public's trust, and who does a better job in maintaining trust during crisis situations. Welcome to Crisis Ahead, Dave. I'm glad you could join me today. It's great to be here. Is trust an important factor when dealing with a crisis? Well, I think absolutely, uh, Edward. I'd say that crisis is probably the most important factor in dealing with a crisis. And I say that for a couple of reasons. One, I've always been of the strong belief that, you know, that people give benefit of the doubt to those organizations or those institutions in which they place their trust. And so in the event of a crisis, if somebody trusts your company, if somebody trusts the institution that you work for, they're more likely to give you the benefit of the doubt. And we actually know from our trust data over the last 23 years that if um, if you're trusted, you know, if the public has placed its trust in you or a customer has placed its trust in you or an investor has placed its trust in you, that they're eight times more likely to support you when things go wrong, when there's a crisis. How easy, Dave, is it to lose the trust of the public or stakeholders? And what, if anything, can be done to get it back? Well, I mean, obviously, I think trust is fleeting. You know, it takes years and time to build trust, to earn trust uh, across all stakeholder groups, whether that's with your employees, whether that's with investors, whether that's with business partners or communities in which you, you operate. But it can be lost overnight because what happens is people place certain expectations in a company or an institution. And when you fail to meet those expectations, then they view it oftentimes as a breach of trust. And so that trust can be lost because what what happens oftentimes, especially when you're looking at unforeseen events or a crisis, is people are uncertain. Uh, They might be afraid of what the consequences are going to be, and they want to be able to trust that an organization um, or an institution is going to take the action that is in their best interest, that's going to resolve it responsibly, that's going to resolve it quickly, that's going to resolve it in a transparent way. And so that if you don't do those things, trust can be lost. But trust can also be regained. Um, And I think a lot of times what happens is you need to actually step up and say, you know, apologize for things that go wrong. Talk about what actions you're going to take to rectify the situation, make sure that it doesn't happen uh, in the future. And so, you know, a good example is a number of years ago, I worked on a major tire recall um, with a, a U.S. based company. And at the time, two things happened that, that they kind of they, they lost trust. The first thing is um, their tires were on, you know, on on vehicles that were facing enormous rollover accidents. And so what happened was the company made a decision. They made an engineering based decision that they were going to replace and recall the tires first in hot climates because they knew that the tires broke down more quickly in hot weather climates. And then they were going to eventually replace the tires, you know, on those vehicles that were in colder climates because they didn't break down as quickly. 
But if you're a mother and you're putting your son or daughter uh, in their infancy in the backseat of your car, you don't care about, you know, the weather. You care about whether or not those tires are going to be replaced uh, on your car. And so, you know, they might have been scientifically right, but they weren't thinking in the minds of a customer or somebody that was using their products. So that was one thing. Uh, the next thing that happened was the company was intent to talk about its safety record. But until the company stood up and said, look, we have fault here. You know, we produced a faulty tire. This was the core. You know, this was the root cause of that tire not being up to the quality standards that we have. Until they were able to say that, people would not listen to their safety story. And they wouldn't give them, you know, they, it was hard for them to regain trust and to restore Trust. So I think, you know, your actions, you know, are critically important because it's action that drives trust and ultimately trust drives actions that may be more favorable to your interest. How quickly did that tire company respond to their crisis and what role does speed play in an effort to regain trust when that trust has been lost? Well, I think, you know, in the time of this, that they responded quickly to the crisis, but, you know, but it started to metastasize quickly. So what happened, you know, largely in the U.S. became a global issue for them. And so they were trying to, you know, draw, you know, regain trust on multiple um, in multiple geographies at the same time when governments and agencies were taking action um, <clears throat> with respect to the company and whether or not their products could be sold into these countries. So they responded quickly, but it took them a while to get ahead of the curve. Part of the problem was um, in their situation is they were owned by, you know, a Japanese company. And so everything they did, they had to get, you know, the um, not necessarily the approval, but gain buy-in, if you will, from the parent company. And so that slowed things down and, uh, and impeded the ability to make some of the decisions that needed to be made, you know, in real time. And I would say that that's even a bigger issue today with uh, the digital world in which we live, you know, that, you know, that an issue can spiral out of control immediately and become a big crisis overnight because of the spread of social media. Uh, and then when you exacerbate on top, that's exacerbated by issues like the flow of disinformation or people that want to take advantage of an issue uh, in order to advance your own agenda. Can you cite some recent examples of the role that trust played with a government agency or company while, when they responded to a crisis situation? Yeah, I, mean, I think, you know, one that comes to mind for me is obviously, you know, the recent uh, derailments that Norfolk Southern had in Ohio. And if you recall, when that incident occurred, it actually cast, um, you know, questions about trust, not only within the company and its response, but also within the National Transportation Safety Board and how it was responding to the issue, as well as the sector uh, overall. And I think what happens in major, particularly in major industrial accidents or a major um, incident like a train derailment. And if you recall, that was followed by a couple additional derailments by uh, Norfolk Southern within, you know, Ohio and I think um, Arkansas as well. So they had three train derailments in a span of, you know, six weeks. Uh, and so people start to lose trust. They start to lose confidence. One, do, does the company have the right safety 
rec, you know, um, procedures in place. Is safety really their number one priority, especially when they're transmitting or transporting uh, toxic chemicals and things like that? You know, are the, is the regulatory agency uh, giving enough scrutiny to the industry? So those are the kinds of questions that start to come up. And so, you know, I think in that situation, you know, there was a loss of trust. There was a loss of confidence. And then when the company started to restore trust was when the CEO actually testified before Congress and actually apologized for what happened, took accountability for what happened, started to talk about the actions that, that the carrier was going to take to resolve the situation going forward and to make sure that it didn't happen in the future. But in that case, you had both the industry uh, under scrutiny, you had the uh, company under scrutiny, and you have the uh, government agency under scrutiny. Do you think the federal government acted quickly enough and responded in a timely manner to the Norfolk Southern uh, crisis? Um, I think that, you know, that uh, the NTSB was, you know, was on the ground pretty quickly. You know, I think the the challenge in any of these things, if you look at, you know, whatever the government uh, agency is, you know, did the CDC respond quickly enough at the outset of COVID? Some would say no. Did FEMA respond quickly enough, you know, at the outset of Katrina? Um, Some would say no. Did the NTSB respond quickly enough at the outset of, um, you know, this train derailment, you know, in Ohio? Uh, some would say no, but I think what you know what you have to take into effect or into account is the fact that look, they have to they have to launch an investigation, they have to launch a, a proper investigation, they have to really get to the root cause of it. And so while we may want answers quickly, you know, they, there's always time to do it right. And I think particularly when you're a government agency coming in in the aftermath of an incident or a natural disaster or something like that. Who do you think does a better job of maintaining trust in the crisis, the federal government or the companies in the private sector? Well, I mean, I think it's, it, it all depends on the circumstance. Um, but I would tell you that if you, and this is based on, you know, the findings of our trust barometer, people place much more trust in business than they do in government in general. Uh, in fact, one of the, the key findings in our most recent trust barometer, the 2023 trust barometer, was that there's the only institution that is seen as both ethical and competent today is business. Government is not seen as ethical or competent. Um, and there's a huge, you know, you know, gap between, you know, how they're viewed from a competence standpoint um, from business. So, you know, the, I think the government agencies start at a deficit because people generally don't place trust in those eight in those agencies um, either as being competent or ethical. And, and what really drove that is if you look back over the last three years, um, like I said, you know, the CDC was viewed by many to be slow on the uptake in its response to COVID. Um, you know, business stepped in, uh, business stepped beyond it's, you know, came together to work together to speed a vaccine to market. So companies put competitive um, interest aside to focus on what was right for society overall and finding, you know, a, you know, a vaccine and getting it to market quickly. I think business also, you know, when you, when the uh, war in Ukraine broke out, a thousand businesses stepped away from doing business 
in Russia. So I think business has seen over the last three years, if you go back over the last three years, a 20 point rise in terms of it's how it's viewed from an ethical standpoint, whereas government has continued to uh, lose ground um, ethically as well. So right now, if you look at institutions from an ethical standpoint, business and NGOs are almost on par. I know that some people trace the decline of trust in the government way back decades ago to the Vietnam War or to Watergate. Do you think uh, that's when it started? You know, I mean, I'm not sure when it started, but I think when you look at a lack of trust in, in any institution, it's driven by, you know, some common denominators, right? Lack of transparency, um, the integrity of the um, information that's being put out. Is it, can it, is it you know, is it um, propaganda or is it really back-based information that people can trust? You know, are people that are talking about these things, you know, are, do their actions match their words? Those are common denominators, you know, regardless of what decade we live in, in terms of what drives trust and what, you know, and then if you're not doing those things, what erodes trust? What would you recommend that the federal government do now to help uh, get its trust back? Uh, or do you think it's possible for them to get back to where they were before? Well, I mean, I think one of the things that um, the government can do to, to regain trust, you know, and I, is, you know, there's a lot of emphasis today being placed on business, right? So business is expected to act. The expectations have gone up for business to act uh, and take, you know, a stance on societal issues, um, to address issues like um, income inequality, retraining of workers, climate change. And so I think that both business and government actually can benefit by coming together, finding common ground, working collaboratively to address, you know, some of the major societal issues that we face today. Because first of all, business can't go at it alone, even though there's a high expectation for them to do so in many respects. They need the partnership of government. And so I think governments and business coming together would drive greater uh, trust in both. And then we know from our trust barometer that one of the, the things that drives trust in every institution, you know, is really the integrity of the information that they're putting into the marketplace, uh, because there's a real battle for truth going on today. And so, you know, making sure that the information that you're putting out is fact-based information, that it can be vetted, that it can be substantiated, you know, it's critical for um, every institution today in terms of regaining trust. So I think, you know, if government, you know, were to work more closely with business and the two were to come together, I think it would enhance the tr trust levels in both institutions. And two, if people really focus on, you know, making sure that the information that's getting, you know, to people is information that can be trusted is critical. And that means also holding accountable um, those information sources or platforms that are pushing misinformation knowingly into the marketplace. What role does personalities play in maintaining or regaining trust? For example, does it matter who's president of the United States or who's heading up a particular federal agency or department? Well, I mean, I think certainly if you look at um, federal agencies, particularly, you know, in terms of regaining 
trust in the U.S. The who who's heading an administration definitely plays into it because if you um, if you go back to 2020, I think it was Pew Research and Gartner both did um, studies in terms of what Republicans and Democrats where they place their trust in government agencies and so Democrats tend to be more trusting of agencies like the EPA, um, the CDC, the National Institutes of Health. Um, and they be, tend to be less trusting of the Department of Defense or the DOJ or the FBI. If you look at Republicans, on the other hand, it's virtually the opposite. They tend to place their trust more in the DOD um, and the FBI and the Department of justice and and have less trust in agencies like the EPA or the CDC. And so a lot of this time is it, it does break along political lines. And so it does um, matter who's leading those agencies or who's leading the administration, because, you know, we live, you know, I think largely um, in a polarized world because as trust declines, polarization increases. And as we've seen a decline in trust across every institution except business, um, we've seen greater polarization, not only in the U.S., but globally. And of course, in the private sector, you have very strong personalities such as Elon Musk. Uh, what role, if any, does his actions, his personality have on uh, maintaining or losing trust in his company uh, in particular or in uh, businesses in general? Well, I think... Um, particularly if you look at companies like, um, you know, uh, Tesla or Twitter or something that are run by big personalities, they have a huge impact on the culture of those organizations or, you know, or trying to put their imprint on the culture of those companies. And I think tr if you look at trust in any company, so if you look um, at trust in companies like Apple, if you look at trust in companies like Unilever, if you look at trust in companies like Patagonia, um, <clears throat> companies that are, are usually trusted, it's largely tied back to their culture because people know what to expect from those companies. They know, they trust that when they buy an Apple product, that that product is going to be innovative, that it's going to be well-designed, that it's going to be, you know, um, cutting edge. And so that they're investing in innovation when they buy a product from Patagonia. They trust that it's going to be environmentally, so you know, responsibly sourced uh, materials and products. When they, you know, um, when you get, you know, when you get on uh, Southwest Airlines, you trust that it's going to be an affordable fare and that the experience is going to be enjoyable. So a lot of this, you know, is driven by the culture of a company, and a lot of the culture in companies is determined, you know, and driven. Uh, from the top. But I would say that increasingly we are seeing, you know, the, a, a shift in that where, you know, that, you know, that, you know, it used to be that, you know, companies were heavily defined by the leadership in their organization. But I, I'd say increasingly, and we've certainly found this, you know, in the trust barometer research we've done, we're seeing, you know, it used to be about top down evolution, but we're seeing more bottom up revolution today inside companies because employees are being much more clear about what they expect of their employer. They're being much clearer about the issues that they want their employer to speak out on. Um, you know, they're being much clearer if they think that, you know, that the interest of the leader of the company is 
runs counter to the interest of the broader uh, employee base of the organization or what the company says it stands for. Getting back to the Edelman Trust Index, how long have you had that index and what are some of the major findings from the most uh, recent report? So we've been doing the uh, measuring trust in, you know, in four institutions, business, government, media, and, um, and NGOs now for 23 years. And so we have a huge body of data that we've built over that period of time. And what's interesting, if you look over that 23-year period, for the first, I think, 17 years or so, the most trusted institution were NGOs. And, um, and then you saw an uptick in, you know, in uh, 2020, where government kept right at the outset of COVID because people were looking to government and trusting that governments around the world were going to be responsive to it. But government was very short-lived. It lasted about a year. And then the last three years running, we've seen business as the most trusted institution. And today it's actually the only trusted institution. And, and that's largely because of the way that business has stepped up in tackling societal issues head on, um, the way it stepped up in terms of what I said earlier about the decisions it made to get out of countries like Russia in the aftermath of Russia's attack on Ukraine and, um, and how companies came together um, to really respond in a cohesive way you know, to COVID. What does your index show about what companies are most trusted by the public and why is that the case? Well, I'd say, you know, we don't go down to an individual company level, but, you know, if you look at sectors, so historically the most trusted sector has been technology um, and it's still one of the most trusted sectors. It's lost ground in recent years. And I think a lot of that, you know, is due to, you know, some of the things that we've seen in terms of, you know, uh, privacy protection, you know, and data protection and the question marks around that. Some of it's related to the social platforms um, because the least trusted institution um, by far, if you break it into subsectors, is social media because it became during COVID probably the biggest super spreader of misinformation out there. So technology, you know, and then I'd say the other thing that is affecting trust to some degree in technology today is the advent you know, of AI and what does that portend, you know, both from a prompt from on the good side and, you know, and potentially negatively. So um, what's also interesting, so, so trust as, you know, has waned a little bit in the tech sector, although it's still largely the most trusted sector out there, but it was number one year after year after year for, for many years. Uh, and what's also interesting in terms of tech is that you know, the developed world is less trusting of, you know, some of the next generation technologies like AI and things like that. And the developing world seems to be more trusting of those um, emerging technologies. And what trends are you seeing among federal agencies in terms of trust? Well, I mean, the biggest trend, I mean, I touched on it earlier, is that there's a, you know, there's been a collapse in trust in government particularly in terms of competence. Um, people don't think government is equipped to meet the, the needs that the world is facing today. Um, and so government, you know, has a long way to go in, in restoring the public's um, trust, you know, in, in the agencies. I think, as I mentioned, some of it's based on political grounds, 
but I think some of it has just been based um, in terms of its slow uptake on big issues like COVID and things like that and some missteps that took place. And that's why I believe that, you know, one of the best ways for, you know, government to restore trust is to, is to work more closely with business because, you know, this is in my mind is one plus one equals three. Neither institution can be as effective independent of the other. So when they come together to tackle some of these big issues like climate change, um, um, you know, uh, the mass class divide, you know, that we see now where the top 25% of wage earners actually trust into institutions far more than the bottom 25% of wage earners. So helping address those issues, I think, is going to be critical for, um, for government to help restore its trust and regain the public's trust. So what do you think are the most important things that agency managers and corporate executives should learn from your trust index? Well, I'd say, you know, uh, really kind of three things. One, you know, that actions speak louder than words, you know, and it's we say that often, but we know, you know, that it's action that actually earns, you know, the public's trust um, or individual's trust. So if somebody, you know, a good example would be, you know, I think I came out of working in the, you know, in the energy sector um, in the Bay Area, we have a refinery. You, you lived in the Bay Area, so you probably know where the Richmond refinery is. It's been there for more than 100 years. You know, the, the company has, you know, it's the largest taxpayer in that community. It's the largest employer in the community. But I think if you ask people if you could have something other than a refinery in your backyard, would you choose to have it? And a lot of people would say yes. Um, but if you, you know, so if you're looking, if the measure is favorability, it's going to be hard, you know, to be viewed as favorably as you might want to in a community like that if you're operating, you know, a big industrial plant. But if people trust that you're going to operate it safely, if people trust that you're going to step beyond your fence line and actually engage and be a part of the community, if people trust that you're going to pay, pay people a fair wage, if they trust that you're going to retrain, retrain people so that they're always current in their job skills, then they're going to want, you know, they're going to say, okay, if we have to have an industrial plant or a refinery in our backyard, this is the company we want to operate. I'm afraid we're almost out of time today. What's the big takeaway you'd like people to remember from our conversation? Well, I mean, I think I think if you think about the way forward in terms of trust, I mean, I think there are really kind of four things that are important. One, and we've talked a little bit about them, you know, business has to act um, because it's expected to act. Stakeholders, you know, want business to step up. And so I think business has the opportunity, you know, to use its position and its current level of trust to really tackle issues like climate change, uh, worker reskilling, income inequality, things like that. But second to that is this collaboration piece I talked about. Business and government have to come together to really drive meaningful and lasting change and material change. Uh, I think you know one of the findings we didn't get into in you know in uh, our discussion was that there you know is this. Um, you know, is, is this idea of this mass class divide 
out there. And I talked briefly about it, but the upper quartile and the bottom quartile have vastly different views of trust in their institutions. And so I think, you know, we have to, we have to work to, to limit that gap and to restore economic optimism amongst, you know, people that are in the lower quartile of wage earners in society. And then finally, I think this idea is, you know, all institutions have to be advocates for truth. Um, they have to make sure that the information they're putting into the marketplace is fact-based, that it can be verified and substantiated, um, that we start to move beyond echo chambers to finding common ground, um, because without common ground, there is no path forward. We'll continue to operate in a polarized world. Good advice, Dave. Thanks again for joining me today on Crisis Ahead. Thank you, Edward. It's been a pleasure. That's it for this edition of Crisis Ahead. My guest today was Dave Sampson, who is the Global Vice Chairman of Corporate Affairs for Edelman, which is a global communications firm. Be sure to come back next week for more advice and insights on preparing for, managing, and recovering from a crisis. Or subscribe to Crisis Ahead wherever you get podcasts. And be sure to follow me on Forbes.com, where I'm a leadership strategy senior contributor covering the latest crisis-related news, topics, and issues. Remember, it's not a matter of if a crisis will hit your organization or company, it's when. And the sooner you're prepared for it, the better. Produced by HeartCast Media.